back, we're back. It's the distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm actually, I'm a little tired. A little tired. My car broke down and my dishwasher broke. And I had to have the uh, the cable guy come over because I couldn't pair the remote to the cable box. And uh, customer service kept telling me to do this one thing over and over again. And it kept failing. And then when the cable guy came, he did it once and it worked. So I looked like a total asshole. Like a month's worth of dad frustrations into like one early afternoon. Yeah, I had to say to the cable guy, I was like, that totally didn't work when I tried it. That's bullshit. And he was Absolutely like... the most humbling. Well, it's different with cable stuff. No one expects anyone to know how that works. <laughs> no. Well, because it's always like, well, you have to hold down the mute button and the enter button for five seconds until you see a double light. And then you have to punch in the code, 8942. And then you have to press up one time on the volume and up only once. If you up do it twice, then you fucked up and the road yeah. explodes. Which is different than like having a car failure where you somehow feel like you've like uh, like duffed some sort of masculinity test. You're like, yeah, I thought it might have been that. Like no one knows that there's like the secret channel that you go to to like check the signal or whatever on your cable system. That's not no, no. expected of you. Yeah, uh, but it's that's way too Kornheiser show esque. So I'm going to move away <laughs> from all of my personal repair bills and welcome our guest this week. Our guest is film critic Amy Nicholson, the host of the Unspooled podcast with Paul Shear and critic for KPCC's Film Week. Hi, Amy. Hi, guys. How are you, uh, Drew? I'm very sorry you had a, a country music week where you're just losing everything you love in short order. <laughs> That's right. I fucking hate country music, too. It's horrible. <laughs> Everyone does. It makes you lo- lose your disposal. It's brutal. Drew bought a Yeti cooler and his whole lifestyle changed. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone goofed on me because I keep a Yeti cooler in the fridge. And when Reader was like, you piece of shit, the whole point is that you don't have to have it in the fridge, you dumb yuppie fuck. And I was like, yeah, but I don't care. She's got a point, <laughs> but I have to say, I own a Yeti cooler. And it's a cooler that when you take it places, when I used to go outdoor places, everybody's like, what a great cooler. And I'm like, yeah, I stole it from from an, from an actor's swag bag. <laughs> yeah, it's it is like the like status symbol cooler, which is not something that technically speaking I, like has any justification to exist. No, no, like people are like at the beach being like, "Oh, do you have an igloo? Oh, that's nice." Well, I've heard those are very good. If <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. if that's where your budget is. Robert Kraft just being like, "We don't, we only have <laughs> yada at the cabana. That's just the way we do." I mean, I, I want to say I think the Yeti cooler. I like that it impresses people, but it's kind of bullshit. It's really hard to open. Like that zipper, the fact that I own a cooler that I have to like lubricate its zipper, I think that's a step too far. Wait, the cooler has yeah. a zipper? Oh, yeah. It's got a heavy, intense zipper. And like yanking it takes all my muscle strength, and I don't have a lot. Oh, so you have like the army duffel bag cooler that like you load with like 30 beers and shit like that? It's like a little square box. Yeah, yeah. Basically, oh. I don't want to get in trouble. It was supposed to be a, a gift to Patrick Schwarzenegger during South by Southwest, but he never showed up, and I took it. <laughs> it wasn't my gift. I was like, Yeti, you gave him a cooler. He never got it. But That's it. You're screwed. He's going to send his old man after you to say, come on, come on. You have to give out the cooler. You're welcome to not answer this if you don't want to, but uh, was it for the movie where he falls in love with Bella Thorne and she can only go out at night? It was not for that movie. I haven't okay. seen that movie, have you? I saw a few minutes of it on, we get all the, the uh, pay cable channels, except for, I don't believe we, we get Cinemax. Uh, well, that's a damn shame. It's, yeah, it's held us back. I'm, the Whatever's going on in the world of the erotic thriller right now is a complete mystery to me. But the, 
having like Showtime West or whatever and a decent amount of free time means that I've seen like five minutes of any number of execrable movies and like just enough to be like, oh, right, that's the one where she can't go out during the daytime for some reason. And uh, yeah, all right, that's, that's all I needed to know. That's the plot of the very first Brad Pitt movie is that he's allergic to the sun and he can't go out. Yeah, it's called The, the Dark Side of the Sun. He shot it in Bulgaria, I think, or Romania. It was the first time he'd ever left the country. I know this because I, I went to my you, film school where the, my professor wrote it, and so it was like his big claim to fame was talking about the dark side uh, of the sun, that. where Brad Pitt wears a gimp suit. If you look at online, you can find it. He's in a head-to-toe gimp suit. It looks very fetishy with a little zipper, and it's because he can't go in the sun or he'll die. Uh, if you want a country that has no sun, I mean, Romania is pretty good in terms of those locations. They make a lot of movies over there. I didn't realize that Brad Pitt had that. I know that like that's how, like for the longest time, like like Ray Liotta and like Willem Dafoe were paying off vacation homes by just going over there and making like just kind of like grim haunted cop movies where there was like four speaking parts. Yeah. Oh yeah. Also, I see the, uh, I see the gimp outfit now. It's actually quite terrifying. It's, it would be very good. He looks like he's starring in a prequel to eight millimeter, which is very, (laughs) he looks like a young, a young gritty origin story of machine. (laughs) It's a worthwhile movie. I mean, I will say he's like introduced in the gimp suit riding around in a motorcycle. He must be 18 or 19. This is 18 or 19 year old Brad Pitt. Um, And he zooms around and you're watching him zoom. It's probably a stunt double, but then he gets into this castle because his parents are very rich. They own a castle and he walks up to the camera and he takes off his gimp mask and it's, 19 year old brad pitt looking like prince charming just stepping out of a fairy book castle yeah. and it is a special effect you just gasp you're like oh, how has a man ever been so beautiful i could see how that that's kind of like putting him in a suit where you can't see all of him all the time is like uh spielberg not showing the shark for the first whatever hour 15 <laughs> minutes of jaws it's like we know what everybody's here for but we're gonna make him wait for it it's like every tom hardy role where it's like oh we have tom hardy one of the most beautiful men on the planet Let's strap a uh, a tarantula to the front of his face. Right. Yeah, <laughs> he's decided he'd like to play this role without teeth. By the way, I have never seen a Patrick Schwarzenegger movie, Amy, but I'm looking at his filmography now, and his roles consist of Jock Kid Game Number Three, Glenn, Frat Boy Cooper, Jeff, Bud, Caleb, Charlie Lead, Daniel, Lance, and Mitchell Wilson. Those are all exactly the names of the roles I would expect Patrick Schwarzenegger to play. <laughs> I hope he got a cooler for every one of those. I hope he did. Daniel is the one that I stole it from. That was a a movie that my boyfriend made. Um, And so we had a nice big house at South by Southwest that we were all supposed to be at for the premiere. And Patrick never showed up. That's why we had his cooler. He gets sent a lot of premiere. Yeah. Well, he showed up at the premiere. He just decided his mom was in town giving, I think, like a speech. So he decided to stay with, with Maria Shriver instead of come to our like really beautiful house where he had the best bedroom. Uh. But uh, we stole all of his granola bars. We stole, like, he, he, I think he got sent, like, CBD kombucha. Like, he, he gets sent lots of things. Ooh. Wherever that man walks, people give him free stuff. Was it, the were they, like, really high-end artisanal granola bars? Or was it just, like, some Nature Valley shit that they threw in? Oh, the it was second? fancy. I'm sure that granola bar, like, one bar would be enough to buy, like, an entire family at hot chicken sandwiches from Popeye's. Right. Just makes a kind bar look like absolute <laughs> trash. Just yeah. like, oh, this one, this granola bar is made of diamonds, so you can't, you'll never stop chewing it. It's just like that crunch. If a normal person, like if someone who gets paid by the hour tasted something like that, they would just turn to ash. <laughs> you're not allowed to. Like, there's actually a, a biometric thumbprint on it. So if you're not Patrick Schwarzenegger, <laughs> you can't open up this granola bar. 
Uh, you are the host of the Unspooled podcast with uh, Paul Shear, legendary Paul Shear, and you guys are going through, right now going through sports movies, but you also, you were going through uh, the top 100 movies of all time. Is that correct? Yeah, oh, well, the top 100 movies of all time, as according to the very narrow segment of people who vote on the AFI top 100 and are basically just voting for their friends' movies. Yeah, and they vote they vote for the same shit every fucking year. It's always the same goddamn list. Like if like one thing from ten years ago like suddenly breaks into it, that's like an event. You're like, oh my god, No Country for Old Men is finally on the goddamn list. Exactly. Yeah. I'm pulling this out of my ass a little bit, but I think the most recent film on our list was the very first Lord of the Rings. They haven't updated oh it even god. since 2007. So like that's as edgy as they got. And that movie strange... is 20 years old. No, it's such a bizarre thing that that's like seems like the way that like certain types of critics use the privilege of being heard that way. The way that like every year the Emmys is just like, I don't know. We like, they unanimously have voted the odd couple, the best comedy on television again, or whatever, <laughs> or like whatever the um, modern family and stuff like that. Like, it's just like the, the whole point of having a vote is just to vote exactly as you did the year before somehow. Exactly. There's like this lockstep in popular culture, which is what I found really interesting about like going back and really watching all of these movies for ourselves is I think, we get kind of indoctrinated into a cultural system where you're like, oh, yeah, Ben-Hur, I heard that's really good. You know, oh, yeah. And I bet it's not. Yeah. I bet it's really yep. boring. Shane, I'm supposed to like that. Like, we, we were talking right before he hit record. I hope you don't mind if I'm putting us on blast about, like, Hoosiers. How we were, like, I think when we were all little, we maybe aspired to the idea that Hoosiers was the movie that a grown-up liked, and therefore, if we watched it, we were grown-up, and we should like it. And I'm just trying to unpack all of that stuff that we're told about what's good and what isn't good. Yeah, I think it's t- it's way past time because this, you know, this list, and I'm looking at it right now, and you're right, the most recent one on here is Fellowship of the Ring, and it's the only movie from the 2000s that's on the goddamn list. So It's crazy. Like, we were hoping they'd update the list while we were doing the show, but they didn't. I was like, we can just easily get some, like, 10 more episodes out of this if they just give us a new list. Maybe put Eternal Sunshine yeah. on there. There'll be a new list in, like, 2031 or something like that, which we'll have, like, yeah, we'll have one movie on there. Like, you'll get to watch Synecdoche, New York when you're, like, 40. How did you guess that'd be the one I'd put on from the 2000s? Well, it's, wow. you know, it's such fascinating resonances. Her yeah. house is on fire all the time, but she just lives there. It's beautiful. Uh, how I many? Actually, I would oh, go like ahead. to see that movie again. I saw it in the theater and remember being impressed, but not actually uh, enjoying the experience, which I guess is part of what you're, you're signing up for. It's a double watch. You I watch sh- it once to be like, what the fuck is going on? I'm kind of irritated that I don't quite follow it. And then once you feel like you have this, the shape of the movie, then you watch it again and kind of ease in. Wow. I promise that was not planned. <laughs> we did virtually no planning of any kind. Uh, how many of the movies on the AFI list, not your own, because I know you uh, I know you and Paul have your own list, and I've looked at it, and I've seen half the movies on it, so I was very proud of that. But how many of the AFI Top 100 have you seen now, Amy? All of them. It's nice. I feel like a real completist. Wow. wow. You are a cineast. Uh-huh. Is, that how, is that how you pronounce it? You can pronounce it however you is want, Joe. Are they really, like, like, the ones that you mentioned, like, Shane and stuff like that? Like, obviously, I'm not going to watch Shane. I think I read the book as a child or something like that and was like, I live in New Jersey. This only means so much to me. But the, like, the antique ones, how do they feel? Like, are, do they, like, feel stodgy and ancient? Or is there, like, I remember being in, in school and watching, like, I mean, there were, like, John Ford movies and stuff. It's, like, the things that you get assigned in, in classes about movies. And I was like, these actually are fantastic, and I really am enjoying watching them, and they're all 85 minutes long. Yeah, they got in and got out back then. They're, like, film's expensive. 
We gotta we gotta hurry up. Now I I am a huge silent movie fan. Like there's the the first fifteen years of silent film. Um, maybe it's just the last fifteen years of silent film right before sound came in. It's like they were really starting to understand how to work the camera. You know, from like the shorts that they used to do for Edison in the eighteen nineties. Now they're like, oh, we can move it. We can do this. We can have German expressionism. We can tell so many stories through visuals. I think this film's just pop. Like the film, the oldest film on the list is uh, D.W. Griffith's Intolerance, um, which I very much want to keep on. We're, we're rebuilding our new 100 list, you know, from the skeletal bones of this one and then adding what we think should go on. And to me, that film has so much just like jaw-dropping, almost jackassian kind of a vitality because you're like, oh, they made this. They made the Wall of Babylon. And they threw people off the wall of Babylon. They built this. It is insane. Like the ambition of a silent film just, I think, absolutely dwarfs, you know, I have the King Kong movies of today, you know, like the, the modern day ones where it's like all CG to see these 10,000 people are like standing and dancing in front of like nine giant plaster elephants. Like that is more exciting than almost anything you could throw at me. What's, uh, is Intolerance, because we're talking about D.W. Griffith there, is Intolerance, does it also live up to its title? It's, it's, it's <laughs> pro or con, broadly yeah. speaking. Yeah. Uh, it's con with the caveat that it's, he's basically, D.W. Griffith is basically being like one of those old men complaining about cancel culture, like the cancel culture of the teens. <laughs> he's like, oh, you guys thought Birth of a Nation, his last film, you know, kind of like considered like the big breakout box office hit of all time that's also incredibly 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 racist um yes at the time people thought it was racist you know at the time there were protests and like the police had to come out to the premiere here in los angeles because they knew it was an incendiary piece of staggering trash like um that would move the art form forward but also at the cost of a lot of uh, racism that it indoctrinated audiences and so people were mad at D.W. Griffith and so he was like y'all are mean you're trying to cancel me basically and he made intolerance about that about like the people trying to censor his films and yet it's kind of great it's still really great like his heart is in the right his heart is in the wrong place but the film if you didn't know that feels like its heart is in the correct place yeah, we've got, I, there's I re- been some good art from like the wounded vanity of a total asshole. Yeah. Like that's actually got a pretty decent track record as stuff. It's probably goes. most art. Yeah, but it's getting the track record yeah. is getting worse though. Because like you know, Megan McCain's not going to make a good movie. Like <laughs> out of like out of like owning her haters. Like that's not ever going to happen. Oh, I would like to like, see her try though. Can you imagine like yeah, the Megan McCain? She probably runs a coffee like a, a cupcake shop. Haters come in and she claps back. <laughs> Yeah, she's got a me you madness in her if she wants it, I think. Uh, absolutely. But like with like twenty percent more sass. I just hope whoever does her hair and makeup is the same person who does it on the view because they clearly hate her and want to make her a cartoon. <laughs> so Drew and I were just talking about this in Slack before we started, where I was like, I want to read an interview with this person and just get <laughs> the full download on the process and why this happens and like the p- particular role that the fifth element played in like inspiring some of the aesthetic. Yeah, because she, like she had like a French braid mohawk like today. <laughs> but Drew Drew is just like, nah, I mean, I don't want to know that. Like I want, I, it's just better when it arrives like out of nowhere, like as a gift from the universe and I don't want to know I mean, know someday that person's gonna give her like cornrows and then we're it's gonna be like this crazy incendiary hot button thing like <laughs> and she'll have to say i didn't know there were cornrows or i didn't know what i was doing i'm at the uh, i'm at the stage where like now that trump's out of office like these people's careers can fail if we let them fail 
And like, so I want to make sure that I'm not, I'm not giving him any oxygen than any more oxygen than is necessary. Like Ted Cruz is going to be around and do all this Ted Cruz bullshit. Cause he's actually an elected Senator. But like, I, I'm not going to signal boost like Megan McCain or like Ben Shapiro and motherfuckers. Just let them die the way, like I, I, I think if I, if it's like, it's like the ad thing in the Simpsons where if you just look away, they just collapse. Like I think yeah. they, if think it can be done possibly, but we're not talking about, Trolls. We're talking about film. They're, they're kind of one and the same. We have a Snyder cut. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's true. Which Drew I recently uh, subjected himself to that and uh, the Whedon one back to back. And the is... Whedon one sucked. It was bad. It was one of the worst movies I ever saw. So when I saw the Snyder cut, like Snyder, like his benefits because you know you watch the first Justice League and you're like, oh, that's a piece of shit. There's literally nothing that could be worse than this. And so then Zack Snyder makes a four hour movie that's like mildly coherent. And I was watching, I was like, oh, this is much better. This is like, this is like a really good movie. Like it, you know, cause, cause I just staggered through the desert, you know? Yeah. It seems, I mean, I haven't seen either of them. That's a good caveat before I start my sentence about them. But in the, the bits that I've read about it, it seems like the difference mostly is that like Snyder really was kind of trying to make a movie where it's like the, the Whedon stuff looks, I mean, obviously like having one director finish another director's movie is not something with a, a proud track record no but all the stills i see from it like it's lit like a fucking harley dean mystery on hallmark <laughs> like it's just like one light directly overhead two people sitting at a formica table you know my boyfriend is a, a filmmaker um his name is adam Eden mortar i'm saying that because i'm about to like mention a, an idea that i like basically stole from him um, he has a big heart towards trying to understand why a film looks the way that it does, why a director is doing what they did. And he was like, I think I've cracked the key to understanding Zack Snyder and especially the Justice League. He's like, we're trying to compare it to the modern day blockbuster, but he's operating more in a tone that he called um, like giallo. Like he's operating more like an Italian giallo film where everything is yeah. exaggerated. And yeah, people can't deliver lines, but that's not the point. You don't really care. And to me, I was like, oh, that sounds more like an F like a Renault film too. Like something from the silent era, something really epic where it's about the emotion more than any kind of reality. And, he, and also that's he got like, very high doing this. We don't really smoke weed, but we decided to smoke uh, weed just for right. this. Okay. And like, yeah. and like, he hates smoking weed with me because I do it once a year. And every time I do it, I make a big deal about like, we're so cool. Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like in, in that lens, we watched the whole Snyder cut and I was in, I, I got it. I was like, okay, I want to meet you on your level. Yeah. I mean the culture that produced it, like in terms of like, whatever the harassment and all, whatever the like sort of like leftover online shit obviously is not what you want would be like the polite way of referring to it. And yet like, being on the other side of it, on the side of, like, a studio that just, like, takes it away and has somebody recut it so it's stupider and short. Or, like, I mean, he's a, he's not my favorite filmmaker. There have been some Zack Snyder movies that I've liked. Like, I think the, the Dawn of the Dead that he did is, like, totally fun and good. And I think that there's maybe an hour of Watchmen that's really cool. But, I like, the idea that, like, he's, he's a real filmmaker. He's not, like, a, a great one. But he's trying to do something. And, like, I, you know, I guess in the abstract, I can stand for that. Far, That's like the critics, you know, like, hand it to Michael Bay, where they're like, well, I hated this movie, but goddammit, at least he had a vision when he, <laughs> yeah. when he, when he put you through a, a psychological trash compactor and 
and bukkake do. Yeah, like you don't have to like it, but he's the only guy that can make two cruise ships crash into each other. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I wanted to ask, because uh, I wanted I wanted to ask about the, sort of the big topic, because because Snarka came out and like, you know, I was reflective, reflexively poised to hate it, as I think most people my age were. Um, and I watched it and I was like, okay, that's good. But like, I felt like, like that a lot of the DC movies and a lot of the Marvel movies are, are competent. They're just competent enough for them to make more of them, but they're not ultimately like giving you anything new or fulfilling or anything like that. And yet I feel very fucking old saying that. Like Mm -hmm. to me, it's like, and I'll, I'll write it at some point, but to me the most, like the oldest thing you can think is that things are just not as good as how they used to be. And I, I'm getting that way with movies. Like I watched Citizen Kane for the first time this year, all front to back. When I watched it when I was a, a teenager, I, I couldn't get into it, so I turned it off after 10 minutes. This time I got it. I was like, oh, that's a really, really good movie. Um, and like I, I watched Thief by Michael Mann, which is fucking great. And like, so I'm, I'm discovering all these old movies, and I'm trying to prevent myself from being like, well, they don't make them like this anymore. Is that, should I be thinking that way, Amy? Or should I like be appreciating the current state of cinema for what it is right now? I think it's both because the truth is they really don't make them that way anymore. Like if you're a interesting filmmaker with a point of view, they're either going to give you a hundred million dollars and note you to death and re-edit your film and like hand the CG sequences to somebody else, or you're going to get like $2 million and you can't film what you want. You know, they really aren't giving people the rope to make big visions, even the way that I think they were in the late 90s. This is something I think about a lot. Like in the late 90s, we had DVD money coming in and studios were feeling pretty rich. And so if you were a cool, interesting filmmaker, if you were like Paul Thomas Anderson or Quentin Tarantino or, you know, yet the early parts of Christopher Nolan, they were like, here's some money, go with it. Go forth and make something cool. We're gonna give you the money, we're gonna give you the time, we're gonna give you the faith. And I don't think our most interesting people are getting that opportunity anymore. They're either making a Marvel film or they're making a really good indie film that nobody sees. And so, yeah, I think think it actually is true. It scares me about, about the future. My old person beef with this, just to get in there, is that the movies that that you're talking about, which are some of my, I mean, this was like, you know, when I was in college. And so, you know, the movies with like Hard Eight or whatever, like these sort of like lower mid-budget, like auteurist statements by filmmakers that were figuring stuff out. Like, I love those movies, you know, like they are formative to me. Also, I feel like there aren't really that many movies getting made at that budget by like studios anymore, it feels like. Like, it just seems like there's, these sort of micro-budget independent films, which can be very good. And then there are, like... And then directors get, like, sort of snatched from those into the, like, you know, Marvel omniverse without there being any sort of period in the middle where they're making smaller stories. You know, and all these phrases feel so, like, old, but, like, stronger stories, like, for adults at a moderate budget and a moderate... Length. No, that's exactly it. Like, it just doesn't... That's exactly it. Those movies, am I right that they're not out there? Or, I mean, maybe I'm not able to find them. That's the real getting old part. I mean, I think Netflix will sometimes do them. Like, Netflix will give it to Charlie Kaufman, which I appreciate. But, like, Mm -hmm. every Netflix film kind of looks like it was painted in, like, dishwater to me. And I don't understand why that is. But, yeah, like, no, it's absolutely missing. Like, we are not letting the talents of our generation tell the stories that they want to tell. They have to tell a story in a framework that already exists. And it's so short-sighted because how are we going to build the next franchises? Like, how are we going to make another new Matrix if, like, 
we keep just making old versions of these films. Like, what are our new characters yeah. going to be if we're not creating new characters, which we're not doing? I was yeah. thinking about that because um, uh, I, I saw Booksmart, which Olivia Wilde directed, and I loved it. And then she got recruited to do a, uh, a Spider-Woman movie. And I was like, well, fuck. Like, that's great news for her. And I'm sure it'll be a good movie, but I want to see her next movie, like in her voice. And then Emerald Fennel, who made Promising Young Woman, which is a great movie, you know, and like clearly like like you watch it and you're like, oh, this this person's gonna like whoever made this movie is gonna be like an important person, like to note, like you gotta follow this person's career. And she just signed on to make a DC movie. And I'm like, well shit, like that sucks. Like I want her to I want the next Emerald Fennel movie to be an Emerald Fennel movie. Exactly. And I think I'm really, really, really curious how the next three years are going to play out because one of the one of the tropes of Hollywood that has been true is that you know if you make your big film too early and it's not good, you're now box office poison and nobody wants to work with you again. And so I hope that we're giving these filmmakers the resources to make a film that's good at least within this framework. Like I'm, I'm all for a world where like if I'm Emerald Fennel. Cool. All right. I'll make, I'll take one for the paycheck and then I'll go make my other indie movie and then I'll take another for the paycheck and I'll alternate if that's a a way you can do it. The old actor model. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or like Soderbergh does that. Right. Like and that's and it hasn't hurt. Like the box office ones are great. And then he gets to make movies at, you know, for five million dollars or whatever that are otherwise would never get. Exactly. Made. Mostly, though, the once you're in the big ones, you stay in the big ones. Yeah. I guess well, and what true. worries me is like we haven't had this crop of like new really talented female directors hasn't had a chance to prove yet that they're that the studios will trust them to make the film they want to make and not have it taken away from them and and i don't i'm one of the people who i feel like is fascinated to see what on earth chloe zhao's eternals movie is going to be because i can't even picture her making that movie yet and so what's going to happen and what will happen to a Chloe Zhao who makes a good Eternals movie if it's a good one? And like, where will she go? Will she make more Nomadlands? Like, what are what are we doing? I really don't understand what we're doing. It honestly feels kind of like short selling the stock market with all of our talented directors. Yeah. There's something kind of funny about the idea of like watching Nomadland and being like, you know what this lady should be doing is like people <laughs> flying around shooting lasers at each other. <laughs> like that happened with, I, I guess, like Colin Trevorrow with, with like... Um, he made a movie, I guess, like, was it Safety Not Guaranteed was the one that he yeah, made. Yeah, like, the right, Aubrey Plaza, yeah. Which that. I thought was, you know, delightful and, like, had some sci-fi elements. But the idea that you go directly from that, like, some, like, I always think of it being Michael Lerner from Barton Fink as being, like, the studio guy being, like, I love it. Put him on a Jurassic Park picture. <laughs> and, like, somehow that's where it goes directly from there. It's just puzzling to me. <laughs> it used to be that, like, in the 80s and 90s, that was also back when, like, there would be, like, shady Eastern European guys named, like, Argon who, like, definitely made all their money in, like, arms dealing and, like, human trafficking. And, like, they would, like, they would like they were, like, the people behind Orion. They were, like, yeah, let's have a movie studio. Fuck it. <laughs> and, then, and it would go, it would go, like, gangbusters for, like, for, like, 10 years and then all fall apart in, like, acrimony and, like, litigation. <laughs> but now, like, now that they've actually figured out the business model for Hollywood... Like, you can't get those guys in there anymore. Oh, I was all... worried we were going to get to the 30-minute mark without Canon pictures coming up. Drew, excellent work. Thank got you. in under the wire. I, I, I appreciate it. Wait, let's take a break and come right back and talk more movies. More movie knowing with Amy Nicholson. And we're back. So, listen, I want to ask you about... Uh, listen, no, Paul Shear's not here, Amy, but... You uh, want the hot Paul Shear I want no. I want some very. What's the deal with him? I want some very basic uh, 
movie advice? Like, what classic movies do Roth and I need to see that we have not yet? Because everyone has a few or many on their resume. Like, I'm looking at the top ten right now. I haven't seen Singing in the Rain. I've tried watching Lawrence of Arabia and cashed out after, like, half an hour because I was bored. I don't think I've seen Vertigo. I don't know what the fuck City Lights is. That's number 11. Like, what are some of... Are, are there any on here that are definitely not necessary and some that are, and I'm fucked, I fucked up by not watching them? Yeah, I think, I think you definitely fucked up. I think you definitely fucked up. But I'm very proud of you that you just watched Citizen Kane and liked it because I think that movie is number one for a reason. It's still my number one on that list. Yeah, um, City Lights is a chaplain. Have you seen any chaplain? I've seen no Chaplin oh, or Buster King. Okay, well, that, that's Zero. where we start. I think we absolutely start with Chaplin. I think you should start with Modern Times. Would you watch that for me and tell me what you think? I'll, I'll, here, I'll uh, give you a pitch on it. Modern Times is on the list. It's lower than City Lights, which I think is wrong. I think it should be higher. Okay. Have you seen it, David? Am well, I going to... I have. I saw it in school, uh, and it's been a very long time. What I remember about his movies was not laughing that much, but there's something... Uh, like kind of like weirdly sad about them that I I don't know I I thought they were fantastic I I liked Modern Times very much. There's the one the Great Dictator I guess was another one that we saw which I thought was less uh, well whatever was more on the nose. Like Modern Times has like an element of uh like it's a little bit more stressful than I expected it to be in in my memory. Yeah, Modern Times is crazy. Like Modern Times, it's like if you fused Nomadland onto like a silent film in a way like. Charlie Chaplin, oh, I mean, he's talking about the stuff in the 1920s and 30s that we're talking about today, like inequality, police brutality, like the dehumanization of work in factories. And he's doing it with so much grace and like hilarity and balletic movements. Like he's like, here's the thing about police beating up unionizing workers. Oh, also, I'm going to blind myself and like skate next to an actual hole where I don't know if I'm going to die or not. And I could possibly, I mean, I, keep, I guess I'm going to use Jackass as a reference like for all this entire episode. I just watched the new Eric Andre. You should. Thing, so I'm thinking you about should. it. But yeah, he's like Jackass meets Chloe Zhao. Uh, meets like, uh, oh gosh, who is a good like look at yeah, me? I mean, you could stop there, man. That is a pretty compelling <laughs> binary there. Like just being, I like yeah. it. So it's, right like, in that perfect middle between those two things that are constantly compared to one another. <laughs> I like it that you're putting it all in pitch ease too for me. That's what I do, baby. I'm in Hollywood. <laughs> I, I noticed I noticed with the, the good old movies I watched. So I watched Citizen Kane, and then I watched The Stranger, which Orson Welles also directed. And they felt very... Um, they just felt very modern. Like, as if, as if they had shot it today, and it was made right now, today, I would have been like, that's a great fucking movie. And it wouldn't have made, it, it wouldn't have made a lick of difference. And it didn't feel dated. And Casablanca feels that way in terms of dialogue and all that stuff. So I'm always... I'm always worried that if I watch a really old movie, I will catch the wrong old movie and it'll be like, you know, some shitty Chuck Connors movie that I watched in the 70s where nothing happens for like 90 minutes and there's a murder at the end. <laughs> and the movie's over. Yeah, I'm going to say something maybe a little bit incendiary, but I'll just say it. Take some wild shots and stay out of the 50s. Fuck the 50s. Like, oh. I, I think there are good films hidden in the 50s, but I have been thinking about this a lot. I think our generation in particular had just got really screwed up by the fifties by being told about the fifties and what the fifties were like. And that it was like, Oh yeah, your mom was making you a four course dinner and your dad was working and this is how life was. And everybody was calm and everybody was good. The fifties are not the norm. The fifties are like this outlier 
in a century of just crazy stuff happening and everybody thinking like things were new and exciting and like revolution was always on the tip of people's tongues. So basically any film made that's not in the fifties is exciting. You know, it's just, oh. it's just that, that, that decade fucked it up because then the people who grew up in that, our parents were like, that's how it's supposed to be forever and ever and ever. <laughs> it definitely makes sense that like a lot of the movies that I remember admiring the most from the sixties and the seventies seem like explicit attempts to like burst that particular bubble (laughs) that you were talking about and it like it helped that you know current events came along and like like made it a lot easier like you don't need to like reach for a metaphor when like fucking vietnam is literally happening halfway across the world you're just like all right well this is what happens when (laughs) you pretend that this sort of like resting state of oppression and emotional constipation is normal yeah, and must go on forever. I mean, because I grew up with like happy days and shit. So like the fifties were venerated. Like, oh, they had sock hops and stuff, and girls wore poodle skirts, and like it was amazing. Meanwhile, it was like everyone had like PTSD from serving in World War II, and it was racist as shit. So it's like, to, like the fact that there's a, a greaser with like a, a cigarettes rolled up in his goddamn t-shirt, and he's wearing like a leather vest and stuff, like. Like that's not that's not really what it was. It was <laughs> yeah. way less cool than that. No, but that's exactly it. We got brainwashed. Shit. And I know you're not old enough to have watched Happy Days when it came out. Like we had we were watching reruns of them lying to the people in the seventies. Like there's this thing about the fifties that became like a toxic goo that like spread over like several generations in our ideas of how life is supposed to be. Dude, it's like it's the Republican Party platform right now. Mm-hmm. Still, still, they're still like that's how it should be, right? That's how it should be, and we're like, it was just like that for ten years, and also it wasn't even like that. We were lying then too. We're like, no, 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 it's the norm. All right, so the big t- hole that I have filmmaker wise that I've always sort of meant to fill and have not been able to. I mean, I haven't really broached the topic with my wife. We don't watch that many movies, but like the Douglas Sirk seemed like the guy that was first on how. Uh, actually miserable that sort of like suburban idol was and how uh, destructive and kind of corrosive it was. And I've never seen any of his movies. I've read plenty about him and I watched Far From Heaven. I bet you watched Far From Heaven. Yeah, and I've seen Far From Heaven. And like, so I feel like if you've seen enough Haynes movies, you've maybe absorbed trace elements of Cirque through osmosis, but I don't, like, would you give me a recommendation on those, Amy? Anything in particular? I mean, Far From Heaven is probably the big one, but I really like the analogy that you're making, like kind of bring it to the filmmakers of the nineties who like talked about him because I was just thinking, I think of the same thing kind of happened in the nineties. I mean, do you guys feel like the nineties we were like, everything's great. Like Bill Clinton is in office. We might fight a war, but it'll last 10 days. And like my parents definitely told me that racism and sexism was, were solved. And I've and, like hearing you describe Douglas Sirk movies that way makes me think of like Todd Solon's movies from the nineties and how he was trying to say the same thing. Like you guys think that this is a calm decade and like everything's fine now. And like our biggest concern is the end of history and American beauty is going to win Oscars for being like, we're all so bored. What are we going to do with ourselves now that everything's great? And, and it's, I think that those people picked up the Douglas Sirk torch and were like, pay attention. Shit is fucked up and we're going to have to deal with this. I have to, uh, I have to, chime in here i hated the silence movies oh, you i did? hated yeah i fucking hated happiness i hated welcome to, i hated like welcome to, to the me, it just seemed like yeah it seemed mm. to me like where it was like oh guess what squares the suburbs weren't what you think they were i grew up in the <laughs> suburbs i knew they were fucked up you don't have to tell me that how fucked like, up were they 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 were fucked up i'm not i don't i am not prepared I have to I have to go and write a meticulous screenplay with a central character who is now cast in the number. Were you huffing paint? And then and 
No. Was I? Ho- no. Was, so we had Dennis a paint Hopper's huffer character in, in Blue Velvet. We had a paint huffer. That's actually Drew's father. We had a gas huffer lecture our our class at school, and we spent the whole time asking really? her. Yeah, because she was like, "Well, I loved huffing gas," and so all of us, like, the second she said it, we were all like. What does that mean? What is she? So, so she was like, she's like, she's oh, like, you guys are gonna fucking love this. And she, so she's like, I'm an addict. You know, I'm trying to get over it. I'll ask you answer any of your questions. And every question was like, so wait, what do you mean you huff gas? Like, did you sniff it? What, what was it like? Can I do that? And she's like, no, no, no. You don't understand, you idiots. Like, this is bad. You know, it's the whole reason why they have me here. I'm not. I'm not yeah. representing a company that sells. Gas huffing uh, paraphernalia and equipment. Yeah, it's a bunch of affluent suburban kids being like, "Tell us more about the toilet wine." Like, we, I want to know how to make Pruno at home. Can you help me with that? <laughs> yeah, it is weird what you said about the '90s being like sort of held up as being kind of inconsequential at the mass culture level, where it was all just kind of like droll and and ironic. And I, having watched, I watched Safe again early in the quarantine for uh, for an essay that I was supposed to write about it, and it. It's amazing. It's the most uncomfortable movie that I've seen in, you know, at least a year. But it's as brilliant as it is. It's also sort of like all of the the things that it is about, which were like at that point, like an AIDS sort of epi- set in the 80s. So there's like an AIDS epidemic that's still happening. There's all this violence in the culture and stuff. It's all just kind of like bubbling like on a bare simmer in like on the back burner while all of the rest of this kind of obscure uh bougie nonsense plays out in the front and i think that like obviously you know i wouldn't have noticed it as a teenager beyond that sort of like usual teenage pose of being like this is secretly bullshit man and like <laughs> but there was like i don't I, I don't know i'd have to go back and and rewatch a lot of movies which is something i don't do because like i feel like i only have so much time and i only get to watch so many movies no i'm with you i may i mean you actually this is like i guess part of the job now although Given that you're about to be watching all these sports movies, like those are things that I've like sort of rewatched bits and pieces of by accident, and like I don't know, I, I wish I could spare you the experience of having to watch like Cool Runnings and take notes, and you could just watch a movie that you like more during. That. Yeah, yeah, I really I did bad. watch Cool Runnings and take notes. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I've had to do it for I've, like a friend and I do a, a podcast about Hallmark movies, and I've had to do it for that, like sitting there like making notes on Danica McKellar's performance and being like, I definitely want to bring this up. Make sure that I bring How this up. How is she? How has she grown like, since the Wonder Years? Uh, she is delightful, but not, uh, a, you know, a great actress. Candace Cameron is like the flagship star of that network, and she's infinitely worse. Really? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, they- the, Hallmark, the whole Hallmark universe runs on Ringer, so when they bring in, like, actors from like movies or just people that have like a bit of personal magnetism, like Alicia Witt and like Jamie King Mm -hmm. are like the, whatever, like fill the same role that like Viola Davis fills in like proper movies. They just come in and just anchor the whole thing. And you're like, this is like, it doesn't matter what's happening around it. Like I just, this person is crying. Convincing. Do you think Lori Loughlin will ever get rotated back in? I, she was so important to them. I, I can't imagine that she'll be gone forever, but they went to the trouble of like, you know, she had like multiple franchises. They just pulled the plug on one and like really crudely wrote her off the kind of like frontier one that she was on, which is really easy to do. You can just be like, yeah, she got uh, dysentery. So for <laughs> at least the next eight months, she is dead. Like a little Oregon Trail, like cry on comes up. Yeah. <laughs> at a grueling pace, she unfortunately succumbed. Sadly, her covered wagon overturned. <laughs> you want uh, to play some 
Oh, we should do some of our regular game shit with Amy. Yeah. Amy, you want to hear? Uh, you want to play dead or canceled, Amy? Sure. All right, dead or canceled. I'm gonna give you a person's name. You have to tell me whether or not they're dead or canceled. If they're both, dead takes precedence. You got it? Okay. 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 All, all right. All right. This person. Are they dead or canceled? Legendary director Ilya Kazan, dead or canceled? Dead. Ooh. Dead is correct. He was also canceled for. Uh, yes. For, for, uh, I mean, isn't everybody going to be canceled for 15 minutes? Yeah, he was canceled a for, thousand percent. For, Everyone will for be being a snitch, not for having like backwards ideas. Yes. But yeah, this is he was an ordinal process. Once you have died, did you just tell his ghost to stop snitching? Yeah. I did, well, it does. It doesn't really carry much in the way of a threat. We're gonna get it. Yeah, haunted. I did. Yep. <laughs> Your uh, your guy of the week. Well, we usually remember guys in the uh, from the sports universe, but you are a movie person, Amy. So your guy of the week is Cleavon Little, the legendary Cleavon Little, Sheriff Bart himself from Blazing Saddles, who I knew first as uh, from Once Bitten, starring Lauren Hutton and Jim Carrey, the vampire movie from the nineteen eighties. I saw Cleavon Cleavon Little in that before Blazing Saddles. So. I believe that he is dead. Oh, yes. no, no, no. Oh, I'm no. Just saying, oh, you, don't, you don't have to oh, keep Chris. guessing. Oh. You don't have to guess whether or not Cleavon yeah, Little is dead. Okay. The back half hour of the show, we're just saying names. You tell us if they're dead. Yeah. I would have felt real bad. And also, uh, Cleavon did die in 1992. But, oh, my gosh. Uh, that long ago. He was young. Yeah, but RIP. He didn't, he, he didn't testify. He didn't send anybody out to Joe McCarthy. Uh, He's fine. He was, he was, he had a lot of charisma. Do you ever like he, watch um, actors from movies from in the past and you're like, I wish you were alive now when we knew how to write parts for you because I don't think you ever got yeah. the parts you should have had. Although that part yeah. is a great part. That's a landmark part. That's why we're talking about him. But like, why want more? Well, he was an afterthought getting cast for that part because the part was supposed to be played by Richard Pryor, who co-wrote Blazing Saddles and was going to play Sheriff Bart and the studio rejected Pryor uh, and replaced him with Cleavon Little. And Cleveland Little ended up being really, really good. And I'm not sure it would be a better movie if he had been replaced with Richard Pryor. In that I movie. don't think it would have either. There's something so all-American, handsome, iconic, I think, about Cleavon Little, where you can't imagine anybody not thinking he's the coolest guy in the room. Richard Pryor looks like an alley cat sometimes. He doesn't have quite that <laughs> level of, like, gleaming dignity. Yeah, well, Cleavon Little, like, yeah, he, was, he had this, like, just burst him with charisma, right? And he was, the, one of the reasons the movie's great is because he's the smartest person in the entire movie. Everyone else is a fucking moron. And like he, and he, he wears that very, very well. Whereas Richard Pryor would, and when I saw Richard Pryor in movies, he was always very good in movies, but he was usually some variation of Richard Pryor. But like for Sheriff Bart, like it works better when he is like extremely just pure mm-hmm. and and that's that's a shitty way of putting it because he's he's funny too and he's devious and all this shit but i just i i really loved him in that movie and i and i think I, to amy's point too about there being these actors that you wish you could see in contemporary stuff i always think that when in older films with like character actors from like i know we're not supposed to talk about the 50s <laughs> but that like the like Walter Brennan or something mm-hmm. like you don't get like a Walter Brennan type in like because everybody's like way more handsome now and does like you know stuff to their face so it looks the same forever and there's just like the actual like weird lumpy grouches even or like whatever 70 like the whole uh cast of taking a Pelham one two three is like that like there aren't enough guys that look like uh just sort of blowhards at the deli for me anymore like there used to be like three of those parts in every film yeah and I think we are 
when every actor will, uh, every male actor, I think especially, thinks he's going to get tapped on the shoulder to be a superhero. So they stay in fighting shape and nobody lets themselves yeah. become craggy. Too many buff guys. Yeah, 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 that's right. You can't get fat. You won't get hired. Yeah. Because, you know, human torture some shit. There's a winstrol cycle away from entering the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I also, I think that a lot of the actors who, I think there are actors today where I'm like, oh, I wish they were used better because they're not in movies, they're on you know, they're they're cycling through a lot of TV shows because they're not going to get hired to do, you know, like Bill Ward's not going to get hired to be the lead in like a, a, an Oscar movie or anything like that. The way Richard Jenkins was with The Visitor or whatever. And then also like my kids watch Disney shows and like my son watches Dog with a Blog and like, do you remember Beth Littleford from The Daily Show? Oh, I do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's fucking great. Well, she's the mom on Dog with a Blog and I'm like, Beth Littleford should have better shit to do than be on this goddamn show. It's like, Hal Sparks is on a is on a Disney show. He's on Lab Rats, and I'm like, I'm like, I know I respect the steady paycheck, but I wish there was more work for these people to choose from because they're too talent. They're like, they they they're overqualified for this shit. I agree. This is a pro mid budget movie. It podcast. really is. I mean, because I think honestly, part of what we're losing and everything that we are losing with directors not having so much, I think, carte blanche to do what they want to do, is. Even the like two or five million or ten million dollars you, you can get from your indie movie, they're like adamant that you have a big star. So you're not even able to like cast the the right person sometimes, I feel like. You have to cast the biggest name that you can just to even get the movie made. I think that's even more of a pressure than it was like ten years ago. Which is why like, you know, I do I do like film reviews on the radio where like I have to talk about like the twelve movies that opened that week. And like, if you don't know that 12 movies have been opening, sometimes as much as 15 or 18, even during quarantine, like it is, it's crazy. And what's insane to me is like in the, oh gosh, six years I've been doing that radio show, like six years ago, if we were trying to figure out what movies were worthy of talking about in the 12 that are coming out that week, if there was a Bruce Willis movie, we'd be like, well, obviously the Bruce Willis movie, it's a Bruce Willis movie. But now Bruce Willis does a shitty movie every week. And I'll be like, well, I'm not going to bother watching the Bruce Willis movie because it's going to be him in Romania. Somebody kidnapped his daughter and I don't care. You know, I really don't care. Like the other day we had a week where I didn't review a Bruce Willis movie and an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And I was like, what's happening to the culture that like he can just be in a movie, but there's so many that it doesn't matter. How can we not have a culture that appreciates Arnold Schwarzenegger's acting for what it was? It's very, very... (laughs) It's just so disconcerting. It's a quiet, sort of a mood piece. Uh, Amy, we uh, we have what's called the fun bag, where we answer questions from readers. Would you like to answer a question from the from the readers? Well, I mean, if, it, if it's a good one, it's not going to be something like my shoe size, right? No, 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 no. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. What are you wearing? No, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not specific to you. They're very also like honestly, if they were to ask, like, sh- like show feet isn't a question. Yeah, it's a no, demand. No, no. We would never ask. Uh, this is from Shane. He says, "Let's say the Perseverance rover discovers some bacteria living on Mars or some other microbe-sized organism. Would you consider that an alien life form? How big slash advanced do you think an alien would need to be for it to count to most people? I think people are discounting anything smaller than an insect." Amy, what would you think about bacteria living on Mars? Do you consider that to be an alien or do you need a ray gun and I'd absolutely can it. Absolutely. Because like bacteria is the beginning of it building into something. You know, where bacteria says like yep. something larger has been here that's been dissolved. I mean, what blows my mind is like, look at us. Look at all of us like cool people here talking about advanced culture. At yeah, one point in our biological tree, like you go all the way back, we were something one-celled. 
You know, and that one cell yep. thing propagated and its child propagated and its offspring propagated and we eventually wound up here. And I find that absolutely staggering. Yeah, and there was like there was life before cells. Like cells were like a really big revolution. Yeah, they're like dun dun dun. The... They're like the Snyder cut of life. Yeah. At first there was just sort of <laughs> oh my like God. first there was sort of like <laughs> what a sentence to say. At the beginning there was just sort of like it wasn't it, they weren't cells, it was just like really, really uh active vinegar. And then all of a sudden, like, like it divided and like, like cell structures were set up. Well, so wait, so if you found a, a can of kombucha on Mars, would you consider that alien life? I mean, there would be some sort of yuppie alien life form that had left it. Yeah, that would be that, sugge- that. Of course, then uh, suggests that there would also be crystals on. Well, Mars. What if we all destroy this planet, which sometimes still feels like it'll happen, but the last thing alive is like one. Erewhon, like a really hippie organic store that we have here in LA that I refuse to go to because they let people go in without masks. Um, it, it, and like just this one Erewhon survives and five billion years later, people show up and like the kombucha has taken over the planet. I mean, I think that in some ways, like obviously, you know, it's not 100% what you want because we don't exist anymore, but like there's definitely worse things uh, than, you know, like a, a booch based uh, life form dominating earth but it's funny though they couldn't do worse it's funny because the fossil record of earth is very very bad like you're not getting you know what they know from the fossil record is only a sliver of percentage of like species and like in eons of history and stuff so like you know it's possible that like we look back at mankind like even ten thousand years ago and there's like you know there's some sort of tool that like we're like oh my god this is so profound or something like that but it was made by like the I don't know, the, the fucking Saved by the Bell, like Mr. Belding of that time that no one really gave a shit about. But he's like the most important person in history now just because his shit didn't weather down thanks to erosion. So the one note of skepticism I want to strike on alien stuff, uh, I would consider it an alien life form to get on the on the record. It obviously would be. Is that there was another story today. I feel like we've been getting these at like a pretty steady drip over the last four years when everybody's too stressed out by other shit to really remark upon it. Yes. Where a bunch of like naval ships doing maneuvers off the Channel Islands were like, yeah, we were buzzed by like unidentified flying objects for hours. And like, and we all saw it and it was investigated. And like, this just gets put in like the newspaper with sourcing and stuff. And everyone's like, not now. Like uh, Trump issued a press statement in which he uh, described Bette Midler as extremely rude or whatever. And everybody just focuses on that. I think that the thing that I'm skeptical about with like UFO shit is that I can't imagine how long the odds are that if we were to have some sort of encounter here that it would be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it would be like, that it would have like a visual element. You don't think it would, it would like, go exciting. well? I... No, I think it would be like boring. <laughs> I think it would be like a gas that you don't notice or something like that. Like the idea of it having I'm like a cinematic element. Middle school blaming, blaming his, uh, his uh, in-class eruption on a alien gas. Yeah. Being like, you have no, this is actually just as likely as a UFO landing, if not more so. <laughs> Ryan writes in, Amy, I don't think having a connecting flight at an airport in any given state counts towards going to that state. But what if you have a horrendous experience with your connecting flight? I've never been to Illinois other than O'Hare, but last November I was stuck in that shitty fucking airport for 20 hours due to a blizzard and a plane going off the runway. I will never forget it. Have I really been to Illinois now? I say no, but what do you say, Amy? Oh, I love this question. This is really near and dear to my heart because, like, I've only been to the Dubai airport, but I was in the Dubai airport for a long time. So, have I been to Dubai? Oh, that totally counts. 
If it's, yeah, you if it's outside the U.S., passport, you, get, you get – if you're out of the U.S. accounts, you went to goddamn yeah. Dubai. You know, I think if you have a horrific experience, you've been there with an asterisk, right? Like you, if you eat more than – I'm going to say two meals and a snack. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's fair. With O'Hare specifically, mm-hmm. I would say that like if you go to like an Oban pan – in the O'Hare airport, you have not been to Chicago, but if you do the, like, the Tortas Frontera thing and you, like, <laughs> if you go, try to go to, like, the local mm-hmm. restaurants, airport outpost, and you're like, yeah, I had, uh, I had some Rick Bayless food in Chicago. Yeah, exactly. If you're, uh, let's just say that I couldn't shower because I didn't know where my suitcase was at the time. Like, that, I think you can pretty much count. Yeah. If Ryan had to sleep on a bench there like a hobo and he did fall asleep, I feel like that, maybe that helps. Like, the yeah. Dubai thing is different to me, Amy, because not only... Did you go somewhere completely different? Like you didn't, you didn't just, you weren't just having a layover in Toledo or the fuck. But also, like global airports are awesome. They're amazing. Like our yeah. airports are crap. They're just absolute shit. So if I went to the Singapore airport and that was the only place I went in Singapore, I'd be like, yeah, I went to goddamn Singapore and I got the I got the the foot massage where they have piranhas, but your the dead skin off your feet. I totally. <laughs> Which I would totally claim. I was just reading about that airport. It has like a forest in the middle of it. Like they're hosting, they've been hosting events there during the pandemic since nobody's flying. Like it, it, it has like I think a tiny rainforest. I might be making this up, but I, it's a, it's an insane airport. And they're like, well, we need no. to at least be a destination, even if we're like the, the end point. If you're not going anywhere, but to the airport, come to the airport, hang I out. I was telling that you could be making it up, and we'd just be like, oh yeah, I heard about the rainforest. <laughs> like it definitely like it's that type of airport. Yeah. It could have a rainforest. I had a friend, he went to Hong Kong. He got off his flight at the gate, hopped on a train at the gate area, and took him to the center of Hong Kong. And that was it. Like, the, that's how that airport worked. God. Ours is like you have to go through a maze of twisty little passages and, like, I mean, get smart thing. doors. And Whenever all. I think about how there is a large percentage of this population in our country that is stubbornly resistant to ever realizing that we're not the greatest country on earth and that everything here isn't perfect, that the 50s aren't the greatest decade ever made. I just want them to like go literally anywhere else because like, what is it? Over 50% of Americans don't even have passports still. Just like, I I think we need to be doing a thing where we take high school freshmen, maybe when they're just young enough to not be able to sneak into bars in other countries. But if they want to, if they really have a gumption, they can go for it. Yeah. Just like take them to three other countries and just be like, look, like just do big class trips. Like even just, even just let them go to like Mexico, Central America, like see something other than here and realize that yeah. other people have Canada cool stuff. We can't count Canada. You can count Mexico, but not Canada. I That's think. fair. I feel like Canada would still kind of do you in Montreal? some ways. Like if you were like, yeah, like that's yeah. effectively All right. foreign. All right. I was, I was where Amy was going with that. I thought was you were just going to be like, we need to take like high school kids and just walk them through like a fucking duty free shop <laughs> in a German airport. <laughs> and I feel like honestly, that is enough for it to be like, first of all, you'd have no idea how many types of cologne exist. But second of all, it's like, it really does feel different it is it blows your mind like i think my first trip abroad i was 13 because my parents never got to travel when they were little so they made a point of like sending me abroad and i came back only obsessed with things i could buy at the mall i was like benetton exists there's a body shop in greek greece is where they sent me but i've i thought about it in terms of mall but i bought like benetton shirts when i came back and felt like a global traveler even if that's all you're getting out of it it's important but we can also just do it in this 
no, not just in the States, but I do think like we should have an exchange program, maybe like the parent trap or something where every kid from, as a person who's like lived in like cities and in Oklahoma, like you just, an Oklahoma kid goes to LA an LA kid goes to Oklahoma. You learn a little bit about the other part of the country. You could do that. That'd be a raw deal for the LA kid. I do have to say. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, if they're cool, there's a lot of drugs in, in rural towns, as you know, as Ooh. Drew definitely knows. Yeah. Well, now, now you sold me. <laughs> if you come back and show your peers how to hug gas. Brandon Nix is the producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me and Amy, you get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use this promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com too. And please, go to unspooledpodcast.com so you get all the movie-knowing takes from Amy and from Paul Shear. Amy Nicholson, thank you for coming on the podcast. This was so fun, guys. Thanks for having me, Drew. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, Thanks of course. Thanks for coming. Done. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Yep. Bye. Bye.